This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Thank you for joining us for another Thursday edition, which, of course, is the day that we have the pleasure of entertaining your questions, uh, which is something we cannot do without the help of Mary Langston. Mary Langston, how are you? Thank you for joining us and hope all your teams won this weekend. (laughs) You took all my lines. I'm doing great, Trey. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing pretty good, I think. I mean, daylight savings, that's not a great time for me. It's Mm. cold. It's raining a lot. It gets dark at like 1230. South Carolina lost. Dallas mm-hmm. lost. Uh, Baylor lost. Uh, Alabama's mm-hmm. probably out of the playoffs. So uh, so I, actually not very well now that you now that I think about it m- more in depth, not, not very well at all. Well, I hate to hear all that, but hopefully there's something to look forward to, like Thanksgiving or you know, just another day. You know, I was noticing um, when you and Terry were doing something Sunday night, the back of your phone says hope heals. Do you know what despair does to people? It's certainly not a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. So I'm glad that you have something on the back of your phone to remind people that hope heals. I'm going to put something on the back of my phone (laughs) that says despair kills. And, uh, uh, and, and then it leads and, you back to Hope Heals. And no, it, it leads me to <laughs> finding something else to do other than watch college football with my time because it, it's leading me into a slew of despond. Well, hopefully you can find a more hopeful thing to do with your time, at least while your teams are having a harder time. Yeah, I'll, I'll go find some crime dramas, some psychological <laughs> crime dramas to watch on Netflix. That should put me in a better mood. That'll work. And Terry and I will stick to Hallmark. Yeah, actually, (laughs) walking through the room and watching Hallmark depresses me more than any crime drama ever possibly could. It just, I, 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 I I mean, there's just a limit to how many bakeries I I can watch (laughs) bakeries and Christmas tree farms and everybody wearing a turtleneck (laughs) shirt or sweater at at some Christmas. I I just, it's just, I cannot. (laughs) look at the screen when I walk through. I just, I can't, it's just not real life. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the good news with that is if we doze off or if we're doing something, we don't have to pay full attention to the movie because, you know, we won't miss too much. We can, we know how it ends and it'll be happy. Every one of them ends exactly (laughs) the same way. They go ahead and get financing from some anonymous donor to buy the bakery. They all end the same way. Yeah. (laughs) And we appreciate it for that reason. It's going to drive me to drink. (laughs) Well, we'll change the topic so that you don't get driven to do that. 
Um, we have a lot of great questions today. A lot of them are kind of focused on the midterms. So I guess we better get started, Trey. We appreciate y'all for sending your questions each week. We'll start with our first question, and it's from Kelly in Tennessee. She writes, why do we have to wait days or weeks to learn the results of the midterm elections this year? What happened to knowing the night of? Do you think we'll ever get back to that, or is this the new version here to stay? Uh, well, Kelly from the great state of Tennessee, um, I'm going to give you a really, really, I hope, I hope a, an honest and thoughtful answer, which is mm-hmm. I have absolutely no idea. I honestly do not. I have no idea what takes so long. I know this: states get to set the rules for their elections. There, there was a bill pending, which would have, in essence, federalized elections. And every Republican I heard express an opinion was opposed to that bill. Um, and I was opposed to that bill. I don't want a federalization of our elections, but. What you have now is the states get to do it 50 different ways. Now, you can't change the qualifications for federal office. I mean, those are set in the Constitution. You can't change that. But states do get to set the rules. So if you have a state that allows a vote to count, if it was postmarked by Election Day, postmarked, then God only knows when that ballot's going to get there. So. And we obviously, I mean, everyone wants to give those serving overseas a chance to get their ballots, you know, filled out, completed, sent in. Um, I I don't know the answer. I, I know this. It is not fair to ask people to wait a week or longer so they know the election results. There are still, we are beyond a week out, and there are still races that are too close to call. Not because of a recount. We haven't even gotten to the recounts yet because all the ballots have not been processed. So when will it change? When the people of Arizona say we can do better, when the people of Nevada say we can do better, when the people of California say we can do better. And I'm not just picking on those three states. I mean, I got friends in every one of those states, but Florida is a big state. And we know that night. We know early that night. So it, it is stunning to me how quickly some states can get it done and how long it takes others. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my thought is, yeah, I, I think it's really bad for a political party uh, to kind of adopt the notion that we want as few people as possible to vote. I, I just think, I mean, you must not have any confidence in your ideas if you want as few people as possible to vote. Mm-hmm. But There are few things in the world that are more predictable than Election Day. I mean, it's like saying, oh, oh, Christmas snuck up on me. How can it sneak up on you? It's the same day every single year. How can Election Day sneak up on you? So if you want to let people early vote, if you want to let people, you know, drop off their ballots and not wait in line, I mean, I'm all of that is great. It's all great. But why you can't get it done when you know, I mean, we know two years from now when the general election is going to be. It's not like they're going to decide it like sometime in 2024. We know right now. So why we, and and look, this gets a little bit, not to uh, go too far down this rabbit hole, 
But this whole notion of accountability to others, yeah, I mean, we're 50 different laboratories, but when one of the laboratories is like causing the other 49 to have to do something that's not cool, I mean, you ought to fix it. So the whole country should not be waiting on a handful of states to process their ballots. You need to figure out a way to let everyone who wants to vote, vote, and still let us know in less than a week after the election what the results were. That is not asking too much. Well, thank you, Trey, and thank you, Kelly, for your question. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Our next question is from Chris in Missouri. He writes, what are your top three to five foot and mouth moments in political history, which is things politicians said or did that there was no getting over and effectively cost them an election? Oh, Chris, that is number one, very hard. Number mm-hmm. two, so subjective. So let me just start by saying this. There is no one who has said more dumb things than I have. I'm just lucky that most of the dumb things I say are to myself. So no one else hears them. But anyone who talks for a living makes mistakes. So if you're a trial lawyer, if you're a politician, if you're a public speaker, you are going to make mistakes. And then the flip side of that is, you know, some mistakes nobody ever finds out about. The dumb things that I ask myself in my head, which is, you know, in and of itself, dumb. why would I ask myself a math question in my head when the person answering has no idea what the answer is? But I mean, we all, well, I say we all, I keep a running dialogue with myself. Lots of people do that. So nobody ever finds out about dumb things or, you know, well, I didn't know this or I didn't know that. But when you talk for a living, Uh, There's no safety net. That said, so number one, number one, number two, no one has said more dumb things than I have. So I'm not picking on other people. If Chris from Missouri had said, what are the top 500 dumbest things you have said? Uh, I'd have to get my wife to help me, but I think I could come up with that list, but that's not what he asked. So I would go, these are not necessarily in the order. They're just in the order of what I thought uh, or what I think uh, would fit the, Chris's question. Number one, Howard Dean, he was running for president. He was a governor, and then I think he was the head of the Democrat National Committee, or maybe my chronology may be out of order, but he was doing much better than expected. And on election night, he let out this primal scream It was like he was auditioning for a role in a Friday the 13th movie. It was just this piercing, cringeworthy scream. 
And if you're trying to convince people that you have the temperament to lead the nation and know the nuclear codes, then screaming in that manner is not good. And it wound up, you know, we didn't have what's called viral back then, but it wound up going viral. And so you're, it wasn't just the fact that he screamed, it was the way that he screamed. And I think it, um, look, he may have a different view of it, but I think it really calls people to like take a second look at him and you really never heard from him again, at least not, not, not in that election cycle. So Howard Dean, Ted Kennedy, I mean, some of our, some of our listeners will remember this. I mean, he challenged, I think it was, he challenged Jimmy Carter for the Democrat nomination. And he was asked by Roger Mudd in an interview. Roger Mudd was, I want to say CBS, but he he was uh, kind of a successor to Walter Cronkite. Um, Roger Mudd asked, you know, a, a pretty obvious question, which is, why do you want to be the president? I mean, that's not a hard question. It's really one that you should be prepared for. But Ted Kennedy's answer was so long. And the length was only exceeded by the incoherence of that answer. It, it, I mean, here is one of the, you know, one of the Kennedys. That's, that's, you know, in Democrat circles, that is political royalty. You had a, a, a brother that was the president of the United States. You had a, another brother that probably was going to be the president of the United States, um, but for being uh, killed by Sirhan Sirhan and, and, uh, Bobby Kennedy. So you got two brothers. I'm sure he felt a lot of pressure to run for president. Maybe it was that he didn't want to be president. I don't know. But the answer was so bad that it ended um, any presidential aspirations that me he, he may have had. Just a long, incoherent, rambling answer. I would say Gerald Ford. I think it was during a debate when Ford was asked a question and he said, that Russia would never control Eastern Europe. Uh, well, ironically enough, while he said that, Russia was controlling Eastern Europe. So, I, I mean, I, I may have been watching that debate. I don't know how old I was, but uh, I'm sure my father made me watch the debate. I, I'm not telling you that I realized that that was like a dumb answer at the time he gave it because I didn't. I didn't even know what Eastern Spartanburg was back then. I certainly didn't know what Eastern Europe was, but I remember it was a big deal. And so he would have been the president at the time because um, Nixon resigned. So to be the president and not know or and, and honestly, my guess is he did know it was just a verbal misstep. But it it really, really, really hurt him. And I would say Jimmy Carter. I mean, Jimmy Carter in a debate answered a question by, you know, this is a paraphrase. I hope I get it close to being right. I hope it's mm -hmm. close to being fair to the former president. But he was asked a question, and part of his answer was that just the other night, he had been talking to his daughter, Amy, about nuclear proliferation. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, I didn't have a daughter at the time. I do now. I've had a lot of serious and thought-provoking conversations with my daughter. But when she was a child, those questions would have been about Goodnight Moon um, or Winnie the Pooh or maybe Barney. It would not have been about nuclear proliferation. I can barely pronounce nuclear proliferation. It just 
why in the world you would try to convince people in a nationally televised de debate that you were just the other day talking to your daughter about nuclear proliferation, and she wasn't like a 30-year-old who was studying nuclear warfare. Uh, Amy Carter would have been very, very young at the time. I think it just, it hurt him. It hurt him. It hurt him, which is why I still remember it. And a lot of our listeners still remember it. But here's my favorite one, my all-time favorite. I don't think very many people are familiar with this one, but I think it is classic. My all-time favorite political misstep. I, I, I wonder how many people even know. I'm not even sure how to pronounce this senator's last name. I think it's Ruska. It was a Democrat senator. I think his name was Roman Ruska. And he was told that a Supreme Court nominee had been rated just a mediocre lawyer. So, you know, they rate judicial candidates either exceptionally well-qualified, well-qualified, you know, not qualified. And they said, look, this nominee for the Supreme Court was found to be just a mediocre lawyer. Do you know what his response was, Mary Langston? Mm -mm. Even if the nominee were mediocre... There are there are a lot of mediocre judges and people and lawyers, and they are entitled to a little representation, too, aren't they? Mm. So it was I mean, it's like saying, look, this person's a terrible surgeon, but, you know, but we need terrible surgeons so we can know which ones are good. I, he literally said, even if the nominee is mediocre. There are lots of mediocre people in the world and they deserve judges and representation too, don't they? It, it, I think mm. it's so funny that he said it. Um, and I'm sure, you know what, that's just the cruelty of the world we live in. I'm sure this former Tennessee Senator said a lot of really, really, really smart things that we don't remember, mm. but that, um, that is probably my favorite uh, all, all time political verbal misstep. Well, thank you, Trey. And thank you, Chris, for the question. And I know Our... every one of those hurt your heart because you can't possibly stand the thought of somebody <laughs> saying something that got them in trouble. And I know I was thinking yeah. of myself in that moment and how many times I felt that way, but, and I did want to ask you, what do you think we learned from those moments? Um... But you don't have to answer that. Oh, no, you learn about the forgiveness that people have. Mm -hmm. You learn that people will forgive you for almost anything except dishonesty. Um, pe people like the media, they never get over it. They want to remind you for the rest of your life. I mean, Dan Quayle is a perfect example. The media decided that Dan Quayle wasn't smart. I mean, honestly, as we sit here today, Mary Langston, I'm not sure I could sp spell tomato uh, or potato. Mm -hmm. I, I think one ends in an E and one does not. I know what they are. I know where to look for them in the grocery store. I know how to mm -hmm. pronounce them, but I, he misspelled a word. Okay. I, I mean, well, you heard me yesterday. I mean, I'm doing the audio for a book. I know how to spell a word. I know what the word means, but there was one word that the guy corrected me and said, well, that's not how it's pronounced. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, does that, I, I probably read what 10,000 words yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, no, actually I read more than that. And mm -hmm. so one of them, which I know how to spell and I know what the word means, but I didn't pronounce it correctly. 
So are we going to judge people based on their one error? Or are we going to judge people based on the 99 times out of 100 they got it right? Mm. People are forgiving. Um, and I think people also like it when you can laugh at yourself. I'm sure if we were to go back and ask this Tennessee senator, he would say, you know, I, I, I knew what I was thinking and I didn't verbalize it correctly. I, I knew mm. what I was thinking. Um, or maybe he would say, you know, I've thought about it some more. I, it, that wasn't the smartest thing I've ever said. And um, I wish I could have it over again. People are forgiving. Uh, the media is not. Mm. So we're, we're always reminded of our mistakes, which is why, you know, when we pick friends, we probably don't pick friends that remind us of all of the things we did wrong. We like to sprinkle in a couple that remind us that maybe we got a couple of things right in our lifetimes too. Mm -hmm. That was well said. Thank you, Trey, for answering my question on that. And thank you, Chris, for you your question. You don't have to worry about it, Mary Langston. You are so sweet. Nobody is ever, ever, ever going to remind you if you were to happen, if you were to happen to have a verbal misstep. <laughs> I think what we would do is just change the pronunciation of the word to fit the way you pronounced it and tell everyone <laughs> no. else. No, we are. I know for myself, I'm my worst critic. So, you know, even if people say things, it always comes back to ourselves on how we judge ourselves on what we do. Um, but I liked how Very you concluded that question. If, if you, if your job is to criticize yourself, then you will be unemployed. <laughs> there's no, there's no work to do. There's nothing. I don't know about do. that. You're too kind. Too kind. What's a lot easier is to just criticize other people. So I, what I would recommend that you do is kind of retire from criticizing yourself because you'll be bored and just do what <laughs> no. I do and criticize Lindsay and John Radcliffe and, and everyone else. It's much, <laughs> much more fun. I don't know about that, but they can laugh at themselves, which is a good quality. They can. Um, and, and both of those, uh, it, it's, you have to be able to laugh. Well, look, I mean, how many different speeches have you heard me give? And almost every one of them is chock full of self-deprecatory mm -hmm. stories. I, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it's okay to laugh at yourself. I mean, pe people, people like that. They don't expect you to be perfect. They expect you to be honest. And that's about mm -hmm. it. I like that. People expect you to be honest. Well, thank you, Trey. And thank you, Chris. Our next question is from Felix all the way in California. He writes in the 1950s, the United States was third in the world for education. How, after spending trillions of dollars, did we get to 43rd in the world? Well, under the heading of uh, it's important to be honest, uh, Felix, mm -hmm. uh, the answer to that question is I have no idea. Mm. I do not know. I know if money were the sole answer, we would be doing better than we are. It's a combination of things. It's what we ask teachers to do is how much parents are doing at home to help. I can tell you in the house I grew up in, um, my parents thought it was their responsibility to produce educated children. They are, were very, very happy to have people, you know, teachers who were willing to help. But my parents, I would have viewed it as a personal failure. And I'm sure my parents do view it as a personal failure that they have a son that cannot do simple math computations, but they don't blame the teachers. Oh, how much parental 
responsibility. I mean, being a parent is hard and it does come with certain responsibilities and producing educated children would be among them. I mean, we ask schools to do a ton of things beyond teaching. My, my, my kids are out of school. I'll never run for office again. So I, I can say this because it doesn't matter if people get mad at me. I, I think we need to experiment with things that we're not currently doing. You know, if we say education is the most important thing in the world, then are there students that have the option to go for a longer school year? Have we ever thought about year-round school? I mean, we work year-round. I mean, once you get out of school, life is on a 12-month calendar. It's not on a nine-month calendar. I mean, there, there are no, like, summer vacations. or There's no, like, spring break when you're working. So do we need to experiment with having kids in school longer? Do we need to experiment to see if young boys do better or worse in all-male schools? Do young girls do better or worse in single-gender classes? And I'm not talking about forcing it. I'm talking about making it an option. Oh, here's what I know. Money is not the issue. It, it, I, and I know, look, I got friends on the left that say, well, no, no, no. If only we, you know, we spend $12,000 per student. If we only spend 15, if we only spend 18, money is not the issue. What we ask and expect of schools, what else we lump in with school, the size of the class, you can argue, yes. So is that money? Or is that how we spend the money? Mm. I, you know, I, I, I've walked into university lecture halls where there were 300 students sitting out there, and I teach a class at the law school where there are eight students in the room. I, I, I like the eight students better. Is that a money issue? Is that something else? I, here's, what I, here's the other thing I do know. The answer, I don't think, is at the federal level. I mean, if the federal government wants to say, look, we're going to be kind of a repository for best practices, you can come to us and see what other states are doing. But education is a state and local issue. And what's going to work in South Carolina probably is not going to work in Wisconsin. So it ought to be kept where it is. But if that's true, I don't think anybody thinks we're better off than we were like 30 years ago in terms of educational attainment and achievement. I, I just, money cannot possibly be the elixir or we would not be going in the wrong direction. Well, thank you, Trey. And thank you, Felix, for the question. I always wonder what students would think on those types of questions too. Um, our last well, question hey, is- Hey, I'll remove the mystery for you. They would not be in favor of 12-month school. True. But I'll remove another mystery for you, too. There's a reason we don't let 12-year-olds vote or drive or sign contracts because um, they don't get to decide. Mm -hmm. So I know you care very much what everyone thinks. Um, me, to a lesser degree. Care what I'm not going, to, you know. I I I don't. I'm not going to let an 11 year old tell me what shows he or she should be able to watch on television. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they think that they ought to go to school for less time and not more time, I, it, like, does not move the needle at all for me. But you're a better person than I am, and I know that you do care what children think. 
Um, well, I was thinking if it was all year, if it was a different form of learning, like more hands-on things, then maybe they would be more into all year round. You know, if it was a different form of maybe like actually practicing what they enjoy and they're learning in that moment too. But that's just an idea. You know, I sit here and think, I mean, even to this day, Terry's trying to tell me something and, and I'll, I, I do not learn that way. I do not learn by listening. If you show me one time, I, I, I can do it. Just show me one time. But you can use every word in the English language and I'm not going to get it. If I read it, if I see it, I remember it, but hearing it doesn't do it for me. Mm -hmm. Oh, there are people that are the opposite. They want to hear it. I mean, I used to have friends in college. It, it, this tells you how dumb some of my friends were. They would go to bed listening to something on earphones because they thought if they heard it more, even subconsciously while they were sleeping, like mm -hmm. learning a foreign language, they thought if they listened to it while they were asleep, that they would learn it. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd be better off if you drew like a mural on the ceiling and just let me look at it. Then I'll get it. P people yeah, are different. I, and they I would different. be better if somebody took my hand and helped me draw it. Then I would remember how to actually draw it. So I'm, I'm different too. You're right. Everyone's different in how they learn. Well, if they but, took your um, hand, then they'd be touching you, and that would drive me nuts. <laughs> That's true, too. But um, thank you, Felix, for your question. We'll be right back after this. We have one last question. It's from Maddie in our state, South Carolina, and she writes, what do you make of the midterms elections? Oh, my Lord. So we're back to the midterms. We started with it, and we're going to finish with it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's um, there's so many things and so many different areas you can go. I mean, I'll start where I started before the midterms, which is expectations. Who gets to set them? Who decides when they're met? I mean, if the expectation for Tuesday night for Republicans was just to simply stop what they did not like about the Biden agenda. And it may be everything. It may be most of it. It may be some of it. But whatever they didn't like about the Biden agenda, if you're a Republican, if your expectation was for that to be stopped, then you should be happy because Republicans are going to win the House. The reason Republicans are not happy is they're not winning the House by the same number that they were told they would win it by. But then that requires you to analyze whether or not the people who told you on the front end were right. I mean, clearly they weren't right, or maybe they were and something happened in the interim. Maybe they were right in October, but they were not right in November. And I don't know the answers to all those questions. I just know expectations. If you wake up on Christmas morning and you are expecting a horse or a car or a bicycle and you get a savings bond, your expectations are not going to be met and you're going to be disappointed. But if I told you for months and months and months, I'm not getting you a horse. I'm not getting you a horse. Then whose fault is that? I mean, yeah, you're disappointed, but you were wrong to expect it in the first place. If you're a Republican again, and that's, you know, I mean, I've talked to Democrats since then too, obviously, but there are positive signs. There are voter groups that, that went Republican that have historically not gone Republican. 
There are districts where you got beat by 15 points last time, but you lost by three points this time. So if South Carolina plays Alabama in football and they get blown out 45 to nothing, and then the next year Shane Beamer through recruiting and coaching and development makes it a one-score game, that is progress. Is it a win? No, it is not a win. Is it progress? Yes. There's a reason we have this quote, Rome was not built in a day. So the Senate, it's hard to find anything like uh, super encouraging if you're a Republican. Other than this, it was always going to be difficult. The, the Republicans were defending open seats in tough states, and they were trying to defeat incumbent Democrats in tough states. So I think from a Senate standpoint, I'm not going to tell anyone that they should not be disappointed. But then you got to ask why. Was it, I don't like candidate quality. I, I You heard me say that. I don't like the phrase candidate quality. Um, I, I'm not in the business of judging the quality of other people. But performance, candidate performance, uh, people say they like outsiders. Uh, the great thing about an outsider is he or she has no record. The bad thing about an outsider is he or she's never done it before. So, you know, do you want a neurosurgeon that was, you know, fabu fabulously successful as a cello player, but had never done the surgery before? Or do you want somebody who made, you know, B minuses in medical school, but has done 10,000 operations? Which do you want? Uh, they say they want the, you know, cello player and there was an underperformance i think on the senate side governors on the other hand overperformed so here's what the exit data showed the the republican party did better with women better with african-american men better with hispanics they closed the gap in some tough races but losing by 15 and losing by five is progress but it's still a loss the economy was far and away the biggest issue, but even among people who acknowledged that the economy was the biggest issue, they didn't all break Republican. And so I think there are some people out there saying, well, how could they possibly not? Well, here are two reasons. Number one, maybe they think presidents receive too much credit when things go well and too much blame when they're not. So I don't think anybody is defending, hey, the economy is going great. I think they just didn't assign all the blame to the Biden administration or to House Democrats or to House or, or to uh, Democrats in the Senate. So I'm not saying it makes sense. I'm not saying you should agree with it. But if you're looking for an explanation, there were people who said the economy is the biggest issue, but I'm not going to put all the blame on the Democrats. And then there was this constellation of smaller issues, according to exit polls, where the turnout helped the Democrats, whether it's uh, the environment, whether it's uh, the Dobbs decision, whether it's gun control, I think the border wound up being, you know, while not an insignificant issue, probably not the deciding vote determiner for a lot of voters. So my takeaway from the midterms, the importance of setting expectations, the importance I'm trying to think of who it was. I mean, I was talking to Dan Crenshaw this morning. Crenshaw said it was William F. Buckley Jr., and that makes sense that in a primary, you should nominate 
if you're a Republican, the most conservative candidate who is also electable. So how you balance orthodoxy with electability, uh, the Pennsylvania gubernatorial candidate uh, lost by a lot. Dr. Oz lost by a lot less. Would it have mattered if the top of the ticket, the governor's race, uh, was closer? Would that have mattered? Um, would it have mattered if there were other nominees in some of these tougher, tougher Senate races? Good thing about democracy is there's another election coming. If you're a Republican, as difficult as the Senate map was for you this cycle, that's how tough it is for Democrats next cycle. So they're going to be defending in some in some tough states. So I'm not telling people not to be disappointed. I'm not I'm I'm telling them to go beyond their disappointment and try to figure out the why and be open even to an explanation for the why that um that may not be the easy explanation and and keep in mind the great thing about living in a you know constitutional republic or democracy is there's another election coming and you should learn what you want to learn from the last one chiefly is what i can tell you if you walk into a courtroom and you tell the jury and we're going to prove this and we're going to prove that and we're going to leave no doubt whatsoever in your mind that the following things happened and you are setting very, very high expectations. Mm -hmm. And so you better hit them all. But even if you hit them all, people like to be surprised in a good way. They like that moment where they say, wow, I didn't know that. Or wow, that makes it even stronger. I used to, even in cases, Mary Langston, where I had a confession, which means the defendant said, I did it. Mm. I would never tell the jury I had that in opening statement. I wouldn't tell them. And, and the cops and my younger prosecutors would say, well, why don't you tell them? Because I want to surprise them. Mm. I want them to think, you know what? They got a pretty good case. And then you say, and oh, by the way, he admitted it. And then their reaction is, well, this is over. It's over. But if you tell them all up front, I just, I don't, it just, they overpromised and underperformed. And I would rather underpromise and overperform, but, you know, I'm out of that line of work. And um, so I'm sitting here like everybody else trying to make sense of it. Well, thank you, Trey, for answering these questions. And thank you to our listeners for all your questions and your thoughts. All right. Well, Mary Langston, you know what your homework is? What's my homework? Give me a list of all the people that like tell you if you make a verbal misstep or if you mispronounce a word or say something <laughs> that doesn't quite make sense. Give me that list of people so we can meet out our uh, punishment on them. <laughs> well, you probably already know this, but I don't keep a list. Um, and if anybody was on that list, it'd be myself. So oh, I don't know that if that's helpful. It, yeah, that <laughs> makes it. Are you mean it? Isn't there like a verse somewhere about like I don't know? I don't know the Bible like you do. Like you pray do. for people that pers. Is that right? Pray for mm -hmm. people that persecute you. That's in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Pray for your enemies. That's hard. It's not easy. It's it's hard, but oh, that's where gosh, it is. And you know what? Not only is it hard, it might possibly be too hard for me. 
So <laughs> no. I, may, I may let you do that for both mm. of us. At All least right. for today. We don't keep a list then, but um, you just pronounce words however you want to, okay? All right. We'll work on it. All righty. We'll see everybody next uh, Thursday. Keep your questions coming and I uh, hope you have a fantastic week. Have a great week. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.